Welcome to the podcast of Lancaster Brethren in Christ Church, located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. LBIC is a community being transformed by the love of Jesus, sharing this love with all people. We want this podcast to be an extension of our community and a connection with familiar voices. Together, we want to think about how to follow Jesus in our particular moment. So enjoy the podcast. We're grateful to have you join us as a part of the LBIC family. Uh, With that, uh, let's turn in the scriptures this morning to Luke chapter 22. That's where we're going to be here in just a minute. Uh, But there's an idea that um, stuck with me this past week that I couldn't get away from from our uh, conversation around uh, the scripture that we're going to look at this morning and in our discussion as an interpretive community. And the idea centers around something called vocation. And so vocation can have... Um, a a lot of different meanings. Uh, For some of us, it can mean work. It can mean what you do Monday through Friday as a job. Uh, Some of us might be uh, familiar with vocational technical training uh, like Stevens does or some of our Votech schools do around the area. Um, And that's one way to think about it, but there's also a way to think about it in terms and through the lens of, of faith. And so uh, in the bottom of your bulletin there in the notes section is just a very simple way to think about vocation in relation to faith. And it's, uh, it's this, being human and being holy. And Derek, if you want to put that image up, uh, this is kind of how we can think about these two things, bringing, uh, bringing these two things together. Being human on one hand and being holy. And so a Christian vocation or um, a a vocation through the Christian lens brings together the everyday aspects of life, the human aspects of life, whether this be doing dishes or parenting or work or tearing down houses. Maybe it's even the disciplines of faith, of prayer and worship. But it's seeing these things as integrated and coherent, not separate, but coherent. There's an overlap between the two. And so the the vocation for the Christian is to to have, uh, for the follower of Jesus, is to have kind of one hand holding being human, the other hand holding being holy, and bringing those two things together. Because heaven and earth coming together, the human, earth, heaven, holy, those things are how everything will be eventually. That's what God is doing to bring about heaven and earth coming together again. And so for followers of Jesus, this is what we do. We stand in this middle place and pull these two things together through our life. That's our vocation. We keep a tight hold on both of those. And so as, as we think about it kind of in that way, um, I thought about our vocation, at least for me, as holding faith. Like, one of the, the ways for me to think about my vocation in life, one of the ways that I follow Jesus is I want to hold faith and I want to hold faith well in my life. There's a way that we can illustrate this. Um, over the years, I've um, appreciated, and we used one actually last week, but I've appreciated the use of icons or the, um, the presence of icons. Icons simply are paintings and art that point to deeper uh, truths or um, act as uh, gateways into uh, deeper understandings of, of God and of life. And so, Derek, if you want to put this other one up, 
Uh, this is a picture of the, the crucifixion of Jesus. And if you notice something about icons, there are some people in the icons who have kind of a, a circle around their head. Sometimes the circle is yellowed out uh, and, and glowing. Um, other times uh, it's just a circle over their head. But there's some characters in the icons that have that circle over their head. Some of them don't. The circle simply represents the presence of Christ with them. They're carrying the presence of Christ. And so as uh, there's a couple years ago, too, we did um, a series on the Holy Spirit. And um, I used the illustration of the uh, neighborhood where you just over, you, you looked out over rooftops. And uh, in some ways, it was an icon over some of the rooftops. There was that glow or that semicircle or whatnot representing the presence of Christ in our community. But if you think about that, if you think about... Um, carrying the light of Christ with you, holding that light of Christ, carrying it with you wherever you go, that's, I think, a helpful understanding of the Christian vocation. We are carrying the presence of Christ with us wherever we go. And we're holding together, and we're helping others around us hold together heaven and earth, the human and the holy. And that's Christian vocation. The story we're about to read from the Gospel of Luke is um, a testament to the strength of faith that humanity can hold. And so let's turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. It should be on the screen behind me. You can just follow along. When the time came for purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for me in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel." The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his his mother, Mary, The child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There is also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher, She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. There are things that have been given to us um, to do, to hold together this being human and being holy. God just doesn't say have faith, but God gives us ways to participate in that faith. 
And that's historic throughout uh, the history of God's people. When you think about the calling of Abraham, God gives something for Abraham to do. God gives the Ten Commandments to form and shape a community. God is always giving some structure for his people to exercise and participate in in order to, to exercise their will uh, to be faithful in following, uh, in following God and God's ways. Joseph and Mary and Simeon and Anna all have something in common. It's a structured life of worship. Joseph and Mary come to the temple for two rites. It's not just one. It's not just because of Jesus. There's actually two rites. Mary is one of them. Uh, Forty days after having a, a male child, um, the woman would come for purification ceremonies to the temple. And then there's the dedication of Jesus as well. We're told of Simeon that he's righteous and devout, and so that word devout means something, righteous means something, there's a regularity, there's a rhythm to his life that is dedicated to God. Anna is there for a long, 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 long time, uh, just praying and, and being present in the temple. And so you have this structure that people are following that bring them together. Uh, In this passage, then, we see the presence of the Holy Spirit using the structure of the temple and rites and tradition and drawing all of these people together at the same time. If you knew the temple layout, the temple layout was a 35-acre complex. And so to, to, to find, you know, some people that you don't even know that you're looking for within that complex, within that particular time, is kind of an amazing feat in and of itself. It's a huge, huge space. But all of them were at that place at that time because of their dedication to the law, because of their faithfulness to the law. And the Holy Spirit uses that dedication to the faithfulness of the structure of the law to bring this encounter about. The law and that structure was given to the people of Israel to shape them as a people and as a community. And this is challenging for us in our time and our place and and just the cultural um, framework that we live in. Law and structure and something that is shared across uh, persons in a community is not something that is normative for us anymore. We, we don't submit, by and large, we're not told to submit to a given structure or a tradition. Rather, it's, it, we're told to make our own meaning, which is kind of robbing from this or with, robbing from that, and creating our own sense of tradition or structure. We're not encouraged to, to become a part of the tradition or structure uh, that has been handed down over generations and generations and has been wrestled with from generation to generation. What we've been given in Christian tradition has been wrestled with through every generation over thousands of years, a very long period of time. And I think that's actually something that's quite beautiful. Uh, When I was younger in in the faith, um, I was more naive about the need and the goodness of of structure. And I didn't think too much about the goodness of, of tradition. Uh, In fact, when when God began to move in my life in a new way, I thought structure was in opposition to the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know, maybe you've had that experience too. Uh, It was a common thought in the the community that I was a part of at that time that it was only when the Holy Spirit did something outside of structure and tradition that God was really present. And it is true that God does do things outside of structure and tradition because God does them here. As Simeon and Anna are brought together and meet Mary and Joseph in this massive 35-acre complex, it's 
pretty amazing to be directed to the very spot where you're supposed to be at that specific time. But notice that it's within the context of obedience to the law and, and scripture and tradition that all of this happens. It was through that vehicle and participating in those things that they encountered the Messiah. Uh, the more that I've followed Jesus, the more years that have gone into my faith, the more that I have realized the goodness and the necessity of structure and tradition. It continues to help me hold faith. It's a way that has been given to me to hold faith. So daily prayers and weekly worship that includes receiving communion, a community amongst you all um, whose lives are shaped together by the faith, who talk about life and faith together, following the Christian year as we have done. All of this gives structure to my life and a shape and a form that is filled with the Holy Spirit and the life of God. This all speaks to structure, a, a kind of life and a way of life that helps us hold faith. But in this passage, there are two experiences of holding faith that these folks um, participate in. And the first is this, it's the experience of waiting. The experience of waiting. And we see this in the life of Simeon and Anna. Luke writes of Simeon, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And then he says later on in verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Of Anna, he writes, there is also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. And if you do the math and everything that's listed there, she was a teenager when she got married. That was the normative custom of the time. And so if you put her at 19, which is probably on the higher end of the spectrum to get married, she was married for seven years. That makes her 26. And then she's... Um, uh, she's said to be 84. That means that she has been in the temple for 58 years. It's kind of a long time. And so both of them were well along in years. They have been waiting a long time. And waiting is part of our life with God. Waiting is part of our life with God. It's an indispensable part of our life with God. Learning to wait Learning to wait is an indispensable part of our life with God. The second experience comes in the context of waiting, and we hear it in Simeon's words describing Jesus. In his cryptic words to Mary, he says this, This child is destined to cause the, rising, or the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And he says, A sword will pierce your own soul too. Notice the, the, the phrasing of falling and then rising. It's not rising, then falling. It's falling, then rising. Typically, when we think of those two words being put together, it's the rise and the fall. Uh, we think of that in terms of kingdoms or nations. We think of that in terms of celebrities or leaders. It's usually the rise and then the fall. But here, it's the reverse. It's the fall and the rise. In, in human civilization, the rise is usually because of an achievement of an individual or a nation or a power. And then the fall is a fall from grace or a fall from influence or power or favor. 
The rise is thought to be because of the ingenuity of the individual or something special or charismatic about them or their personality or some effort that they put in. It's, it's really accredited to them. Whatever, whatever rise that they have is accredited to them as a person. There's something that's special. But then the fall comes about uh, because of their hubris or because of what power does to them. And so they can be completely innocent, quote-unquote, getting to that place of, of rising, but then that does something to them. That celebrity, that fame, that power, and those things do something to them, and then they fall, rise and fall. We think of this in the context of the church, too. Not too many years ago, there's the podcast out, The Rise and the Fall of Mars Hill. Um, and I, it, the same was true for a church that I was a part of, too. Uh, there, there was the rise and the fall. And these were both large churches, and it's not, um, this has nothing really to do with the size of churches or anything like that. But they grew quickly. There was something that was happening there, and they grew quickly. And I know, at least with the one that I was a part of, there wasn't a, a presence of, okay, now that we're growing quickly, how do we, let's wait on God and let's see what we're doing with this. It was... We're growing quickly. How can we keep this thing going? It was, not, it was the rise, and how, how do we stay at this level? Um, and, and I know that there's probably, within the church context, as we talk about uh, King David last week, there's mixed motives in so much of everything, right? I'm sure people, yes, they wanted people to know Jesus and those kinds of things. Uh, and so that's part of it. But there's also part of it where, oh, yeah, we're something special, you know, God's doing something special with us, and so we have to keep this thing going. We have to steward this well so it continues to go and to continue to grow. But this isn't the way of the kingdom of God, is it? Rise and fall isn't necessarily the way of the kingdom of God, but Luke's language here is very specific. It's falling, then rising. Jesus talks about this in the language of the first being last, about the greatest being the least and being among us as a servant. The language of God's kingdom is falling, then rising, of death and then resurrection. This experience of falling and then rising comes about through waiting. These two experiences are connected, I think. Falling and rising comes through waiting. Waiting is a theme that we see throughout the scriptures too. Waiting is a sign of trust for God to do what God, what, what God said God would do. Rather than us trying to make happen what God said God would do. How many times do we try to do that, right? God uh, either says he's going to do something in our life or we believe God's going to do something in our life and we want to hurry that up and make that happen and then so we take efforts in order to make that happen. We don't want to wait, but it's in the waiting that we're formed. Because waiting is trust. Waiting is trust in God. And waiting is a kind of death to the trust of everything that is not God. And this is a process all of us must undertake in our lives because we trust things that are not God. And as we wait, it's almost this discipline of saying, I want to wait on God for God to fulfill whatever God is going to do in my life, and I want to die to those things that I'm trusting in that aren't God, because all of us do it. 
We all trust in things that aren't God, and those things have to fall in our lives. That's why there's so much falling that happens in our lives, because there's so much that we have to shed. There are things that we have to shed so that we can take on the life of God, so that we can carry the life of God with us. It's interesting when, when uh, commentators and, and folks talk about Mary and this, this cryptic phrase, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And, and, and they want to set Mary apart as if she's some exception to the rule. And, and this only describes as she's looking at Jesus on the cross and the sword's piercing her own soul too. But the, the whole language there of the, uh, the falling and rising and, and, and of a sword piercing, they're, they're dividing things that are a part of discipleship for all of us. And so it's not just speaking of what Mary's going to experience when she looks at her son on the cross. It's the, the sword piercing her own soul that's going to divide her own soul too because she's going to have to experience falling and rising within her own life as she follows her son, Jesus. She's not exempt from this. She's going to have to go through discipleship just like everybody else is. And we, we read this throughout the Gospels. There are times she wrestles with who Jesus is. And she has to make decisions to continue to trust who Jesus is. She's not exempt from that at all. But waiting and learning to wait is one of the ways that we hold faith. And friends, we, we, we look at the world and there's, there, we can become so discouraged about the way that things are going with everything that's happening in the world. And, and you can think about this too from the perspective of Simeon and Anna who have they're under Roman occupation. Things are not going in the direction that they thought they should, but they continue to wait and they continue to hope. They continue to hold faith in the midst of that. And this is what we're encouraged to and called to, too, is to continue to hold faith in the midst of, of the world around us that's pretty crazy. It's, it's, you know, walking around with our halos, so to speak. Not really, but kind of. Right? When, have you ever thought about it that way? When you enter into your workplace, for instance, you are carrying the light of Christ with you. Like your vocation and your task is to enter into that place with the presence of Christ. If you're a teacher, think about that as you enter into your schools. You're entering in with the presence and the light of Christ. Among maybe many others who, who don't have that iconic semicircle kind of thing going, this is all figurative, I'm sure you're catching on to that, right? But who don't have that above them, but it's our job to hold faith with them and in the midst of them. So much, I think, in Protestant Christianity and evangelical Christianity has focused on conversion and witness leading to conversion, which is important, but there's also just a historic thing about the Christian faith throughout the world that is just continuing to bear witness to the reality of God wherever you are. In, in our interpretive community this last week, folks talked about uh, being in war-torn places and war-torn countries and the, the, so many people leaving those places, and, and um, one, of our, one of our folks said just about somebody that he knew, he didn't want to leave that place because he felt called to be faithful to, to that place, to be a presence of Christ there, because that place had, 
generations, hundreds and thousands of years of presence of Christians there. This was a country in the Middle East. And so they don't want to leave, right? They don't want to leave. They want to continue to bear witness to Christ. Like that is our vocation, is to remind people that in the midst of the humanity, in the midst of the earth, there is a holy. And we bear witness to that holy. And that is our vocation. And we do it patiently. And we wait, even if we're not seeing things happen. Our, 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 our faithfulness is not dependent upon whether things happen or not happen. Our faithfulness is dependent on who God is, who God says he is, who God reveals God's self to be in the person of Jesus. That is what we base our faith and our faithfulness on. It's not whether things are working out or not. That is not the barometer on whether God is with us or not. Whether God is present or not is not based on whether things are working out or not. Instead, we wait and we trust and we hope and we continue with expectancy no matter what is going on around us because that is what our brothers and sisters have been doing for thousands of years and that is the faith that you and I inherit and carry on with us. This waiting forms in us a deep dependency. A deep dependency. Waiting forms us, friends, as God's people. If anything, we are a people, we're we're not in a hurry. There is urgency, but there's also a steadfastness that says, it's okay. We continue to wait. We continue to hope. We continue to trust. For Simeon, for Anna, there is a point of fulfillment. But for Mary, there's just a continued, okay, this thing needs to work itself out in my life. All these things have happened to me, but I still need to live it out. And so even when there's fulfillment, that doesn't end anything for us. It encourages us to continue to move on, but it doesn't end anything for us. Fulfillment... Fulfillment simply opens, <clears throat> opens, uh, opens the path to what God is doing next. It never stops. It never ends. And so we continue to wait. But when we don't wait, we take up things into our own hands, right? And this is a common human experience. When we don't wait, when we don't trust, we get anxious. We try to make things happen. We try to resolve things on our own. And that leads simply to falling, doesn't it? And that falling is actually a good thing because it's a sign to us, it's a signpost to us that we're not trusting God. And it's an invitation actually to continue to trust God. And so anytime we fall, it's actually an invitation to trust again. To continue to wait on God and God's goodness and God's presence and God's faithfulness in our lives.
I think it's a, it's a common experience for, for many of us to try to do things on our own, to try to make things happen, right? But I think the invitation to us is to continually return to a place of dependence and trust in God and God's work in our lives. I just wonder this morning, um, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not big on the whole New Year's thing. I'm not going to ask you to write down a resolution because I don't know. Not big on it. Um, but as you reflect on this past year, I wonder if we can reflect back and, and, and notice where we've exhausted ourselves trying to make things happen on one hand. And we can also notice where, as we've waited, God has come through. I wonder if we can reflect on those things. And maybe you're in a spot today where you're still trying to make something happen, whatever that something is. And I think the invitation to us this morning is to continue to wait, continue to trust, not to make it happen on your own, but trust that God is working in God's own time, and God will bring things together. I don't know how, but that's not up to me and it's not up to you. And there is a wonderful, beautiful, great freedom in just allowing God to do it, allowing God to bring those things together. Just like Simeon and Anna with Mary and Joseph on a 35-acre complex that has very, very rare possibilities of meeting in the same spot at the same time. God will bring things together in your life too. I believe that. Just might not be in your time. And that's okay. Okay.